Good morning, everyone. Everybody's awake this morning. I know a lot of us are up late shooting off fireworks, and I think we're going to try to start off with that upbeat song so everyone can get up and move around a little bit.
of God. Grace that brought me to the fold of God. Trying to fill the same old hole inside There's 
to our time of communion and uh, as you can probably tell from the noise and from uh, uh, the fireworks going off behind me it is Independence Day July 4th and uh, the nation is celebrating just like we celebrate as uh, a nation as a people the freedom that we have uh, uh, for our nation a free nation um, free to worship and, uh, and and free to gather we celebrate communion because we're free of sin. Because the sacrifice of Jesus, like the sacrifice of many men and women before us, physically, the sacrifice of Jesus uh, frees us spiritually. And so we come today in this time to remember that sacrifice, to celebrate that we are free um, and for a lot of years, I really struggled with communion, um, not for the reasons that we do it, but because I just felt bad 
that Jesus sacrificed so much for me and I continued to mess up and continued to sin and I just kind of approached communion really um, just like really almost sad um, but I don't do that anymore when I come to communion I come because it's a celebration that I have been freed despite my sin and my failures and my faults Jesus gave himself for me and uh, so you know just like our nation we got a lot of faults we got a lot of problems we got a lot of things we got to deal with but we are a free nation and we celebrate that tonight um, this morning in communion we got faults and we got failures and we got problems but we celebrate that it's not our failure or our success that gets us to God it's the sacrifice of Jesus it's what he laid on the line for us uh, that gives us freedom and makes us free and so um, I just want to invite you to take communion today at the stations uh, set up around the auditorium or maybe in your home um, if you've got some juice or some crackers you can join us in communion during this time as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus that frees us from our sin and so let's celebrate that today not go to communion feeling bad about our failures but go to communion uh, in this time feeling excited that we have been freed from our failures and that we can have uh, freedom in Christ and that we can do better uh, than we did last week in the new week so uh, uh, um, just uh, hope that you uh, can focus on that today. You can celebrate the freedom that you have in Jesus and just invite you to join us in this time. Thank you. 
Sunday, we worship Jesus by singing praises to him, by remembering his sacrifice through the act of communion we just did, by, by simply being together and praying together, and by giving financially to him. These four things are the same four things that individuals and churches have been doing for thousands and thousands of years. The Jewish King David did this as well as his son Solomon. Peter, James, and John did the, did the four things too. The, the first church in the book of, book of Acts worshiped Jesus this way, and then we continue to do that today. Now over the years, over the thousands of years, some of these four acts have looked different for different generations and different times. So the early church took communion as part of a fellowship meal. It was a much bigger ordeal, and they actually ate a meal and then took communion as a part of that. 
In the Jewish temple, harps and cymbals were used instead of electronic instruments. In King David's day, the people gave gold and silver. In fact, they gave so much gold that the entire interior of Solomon's temple was overlaid with pure hammered gold. It was beautiful. Over the years, the processes may change, may change a little bit from time to time, but the purpose is still the same. We give to honor God, to prove our trust in Him, and to give Him the best that we have because He is worthy. Not because we need to take care of ministry, not because we got mission stuff, and those things all happen because we give, but we give because God is worthy. We give because we want to honor Him with everything that we have, just as His Word instructs us to. And so there is a lot of ministry done because we give, but the reason we give is because our God is worth it yesterday, today, and forever. So uh, if you want to give, oh, I thought I changed that. Uh, uh, you can give through your mobile device, reallifecc.us. Just click on the orange give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. And if you're joining us online, you can click the blue give button in the chat window at live.reallifecc.us. All right, let's pray. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Don't pray yet. I know it's just, I was just testing you. See how good your neck reflexes were this morning after watching fireworks all night. Okay, um, so if you uh, have a cash or check that you want to give in here, there's a bucket at the back table uh, on your way out. I keep forgetting to say that, but anyway, that's there for you uh, that don't use the app. All right, let's pray now. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have given us. We thank you for this, um, this great country that we live in, that we can come today even, uh, that we can worship you, and that um, God, in so many ways, because even though we have so many problems as a country, in so many ways, we are incredibly blessed, and we thank you. Uh, we thank you for those blessings. We thank you for this day that we can come, that we can celebrate you, that we can honor you. Um, and, and God, today, uh, in this moment, would we just continue to worship you uh, through giving you the best that we have because you are a worthy God. Even when things are difficult, you are still worthy. And so we thank you, God, for loving us and for being with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you ready for me? Yeah. All right. Well, you know, uh, I appreciate Corey asking hey, you me. Do you want me to introduce you? No. This is Terry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is your goofy pastor back here. <laughs> um, I appreciate Corey asking me to uh, preach from time to time. I enjoy coming out and seeing you guys and being a part of your worship and part of your uh, part of your church. Uh, you know, I just kind of, Corey, I kind of feel for all you guys that are in regular pastoral ministry during this time because it has to be uh, extremely difficult to know how, how to navigate all these waters. And, uh, you know, I, I don't envy, I don't envy anybody who's in full-time pastoral leadership at this point because uh, it is difficult. We live, we're living in crazy times. I don't have to tell you that. All of our lives have been somewhat turned upside down in a variety of different ways. You know, and um, so in, in my recent quiet times when I've been re reading my Bible and praying and thinking and kind of meditating, I was thinking, God, what in the world is going on? What are you, 
what are you up to? What is the plan here? And because uh, I, you know, if you look out across the landscape of America, boy, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of anxiety. I mean, it's just kind of a formula for everything to just kind of explode. And then I recently read uh, someone who had posted on Facebook, they said that God is in the midst of the biggest altar call in the history of the world. And I thought, wow, that could be very true. God is getting our attention, and he may be in the midst of the largest altar call in the history of the world. I don't know, uh, but, I, but I'm trying to pay attention and trying to follow God's lead in my life during this very difficult time that all of us are facing. So I, I want to share with you today something I hope is a little bit helpful. You know, I think as people and as Christians, all of us want to do something. We want to make a difference. We want our lives to count for something. We want them to count for eternity. I, I think most of us in this room have, uh, have a desire to know that someone or something is better because we pass this way. Something or someone is better because you and I pass this way. And if, we, if we're a student of the Bible, we know that over and over and over in the Bible, God tells us to number our days, to master our money, and to make the most of our gifts, talents, and abilities. God wants us to number our days, time is important, master our money, because we can't serve God and money, and to, to, to make the most of our gifts and talents and abilities, because you and I are Jesus to people who live on the face of the earth. We are his hands and feet, his mouth and his ears. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about a man uh, whose life could have counted for eternity, if not for one thing. I titled this uh, message, Sad Man Walking. I don't know, any of you seen the uh, Sean Penn movie, Dead Man Walking, a few years ago? Well, you know, that, uh, that was a very impactful movie, I thought, in my life. You know, it's kind of a story about a man who was on death row, and when the, when, when the time comes for that man or that woman to go to, to actual to the execution, when they stand up and begin walking, the guards announce, dead man walking. And as I was watching that, that movie and the interaction of the, this convict with the chaplain and the, and the priest, I think, and everything that was going on in that struggle, it just dawned on me that every, all of us are dead people walking aside from Jesus. Without Jesus, we literally are dead people walking. But that's where I kind of got the idea for the title, Sad Man Walking. So let's look at Mark uh, chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, if you want to turn to that. I'm reading out the New American Standard uh, this morning. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. So here was a man who had been ethical, moral, upright, upstanding, kept the law. And Jesus looked at him and said, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words, what does it say? He was saddened and went away. 
He was a sad man walking away from Jesus. He went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his word, but Jesus answered them and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters, mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So I want to start this morning by talking about the ideal young man. The ideal young man. This passage that we just read in Mark chapter 10, we can read about this same, this same man in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And when we read about him in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we get a complete picture of everything that made up this young man's life and his characteristics and all that was about him. Here was a man who had the potential for a life that counted. He had a great potential for a life that counted. You know, there are three primary resources that God gives us, right? Every one of us in this room has three primary resources that God gives to us. We all have time, we all have money, and we all have gifts or talents or abilities, whatever you want to call them, spiritual gifts. He had all three. Here was a man who had all three, time, money, and gifts. In Mark... The Gospel of Mark we just read specifically tells us he was rich. It says he had lots of property. That's why he walked away sad. It was a prominent aspect of his life. So he had money, didn't he? He had more money than he needed. He had more money than he needed. But he wanted to hang on to all that money for himself. He didn't want to share it with anybody. You know, oftentimes when I'm praying for an offering for church, I thank God that I, say, I thank God because God, you have blessed us with more than we need so that we can give to others. So he was an ideal young man because, first of all, he had money. Secondly, uh, in Matthew, Matthew tells us that he was a young man. Matthew tells us that he was a young man. So he had money, but he also had the second one, he had time, didn't he? He had time to accomplish a lot with his life. Now, given. Anybody can die at any moment. But he was a young man, so the expectation is that he's going to live a, a certain number of years, and so he has time to accomplish things. So, so far, he has two of the three that God gives us. He has money, and he has time. Thirdly, in Matthew, it tells us that he was a, in, I mean, sorry, in Luke, it tells us that he was a leader. Now, in order to be a leader, what does one need? One needs gifts or talents or abilities. So he had great opportunities for his life to count because he had money, he had time, and he had gifts, talents, and abilities. So when we look at this young man, 
He's a, a young man that we might be a little bit envious of. It would appear to you and me that he had everything that he needed to live a life of significance and fulfillment. And not only did he have money, time, and gifts, he had lived up to the law, hadn't he? Jesus said, you know the law, do not commit murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. He said, I've done all of those things from my youth. So he had time, money, talent, and he had, in his mind, lived up to the law. But isn't it interesting that he had money, time, and gifts, and he had lived up to the law, and yet he's coming to Jesus and saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Something in him told him something was missing. That's what I read into it. Even though everything on the outside and from, from all appearances, he had everything that he needed to live a life of significance, and yet he sensed something was missing. So that leads us to number two, an inspiring question. He asked Jesus an inspiring question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, I'm a hospice chaplain. I work with folks every day who are, who are near the end of life. And on, on, on multiple occasions, I've had a patient look at me and say to me, chaplain or pastor, because they, they get the two interchanged, you know, they'll look at me and say, what? How do I know I'm going to heaven? I mean, for, I think for every pastor, Corey, that would probably be our dream question, right? You're sitting next to somebody, you know we want to share the gospel, we want to make sure people know the, the gospel message, and someone looks right at you and says, how do I know I'm going to heaven? Pastor, how do I know what's going to happen after I die? Well, that's what this young man, he walks up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, Jesus, tell me what the gospel message is, because I want to know. So we think about the Jews, and this man was a Jew. They had some idea about life after death. The Sadducees and Pharisees, however, had very differing views. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. The Pharisees did believe in the resurrection of the body, but they really didn't have an understanding of what it was all about, what it all meant. And if we think about Judaism, the, the world and culture in which this young man grew up, Judaism is grounded in this life. Judaism is grounded in this physical life that you and I live. Because in the, Ju in the Ju Jewish mindset, the more material blessing someone had meant the more they were loved by God. So that's why if you, were, if you were, uh, had an illness or you had some disaster happen in your life, that's why they looked at that person and say, who sinned? Or he must have sinned. Or she must have sinned because God isn't blessing them. Because when God blesses us, that means that we're living the right way. So the, for the Jewish people, the more material blessing a person had, the more they were loved by God. So this man obviously must have been blessed and living the way God wanted him to live because he had everything possible. He was living a good moral life based on the law. So this fellow, from outward appearances, had everything that he needed. All the material blessings that would say that God was shining his favor on him. But something in him said there's more. And he wanted, he wanted the life Jesus was talking about. He wanted abundant life. 
He may have, may have had a lot of anxiety in, in his life. He wanted peace. He wanted assurance. I, I don't know what all he was looking for, but something in him was driving him. Because you and I look at him and think, man, you had everything. What, what's your problem? Just go live your life. Enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? Everything's great in your life. And yet something was driving him to the feet of Jesus. He wanted his life to count in some way. So when he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think for all of us, it probably raises in our minds, what, what do I do? What is it that I do to inherit eternal life? What is it that I do to live the life that Jesus wants me to live? What is it that I do to find the kind of peace that I'm wanting in my, in my life? When we see someone ask that question, it gets our attention. Believe me, when I'm sitting with a patient who's at the end of life and they look at me and they just point blank but ask, how do I know I'm going to heaven? I'm going to tell you, they have my full attention. Kind of makes the hair on, on my neck stand up because this is like that moment of, you know, we're, we're standing on the, on the brink of this person living in heaven or, or being eternally damned to a place called hell. And it, it gets our attention. And I, so I think we shouldn't pass over that too lightly. Here is a man who's looking for answers for life. Well, thirdly, he got a difficult answer, didn't he? He got a difficult answer. One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. I think not only was this young man shocked, but everybody who heard Jesus say those words, go and sell all you possess, they were probably shocked as well because what did I say? Material blessings were the, were the, the sign that God was favoring you, that God was favoring your life. And Jesus tells this young man to go and take the very things that he was putting his life, his life value into and just go sell it and give it away. Every, oftentimes when Jesus encountered folks who were having a struggle, there was a very shocking thing that he would tell them that they needed to do because he was very countercultural and very counter to what the, the intuition that you and I have that this is the way I ought to go. And Jesus said, no, if you want to be first, you're going to have to be last. The greatest of all is the one who serves. The way up is to move down. It's always counter to what we think. So here was a man who was rich, ethical, moral, talented, religious, who kept the law, but there was something in his way, wasn't there? His money. There was one thing in his way, and it was his money. Now, I think when we uh, read this passage of Scripture, we, we might get a little anxious, we might get a little, uh, we might kind of scratch our head, we might want to not think about it too much, because... Um, you know, when, when Jesus talks to this young man and he talks to him about uh, what he needs to do to inherit eternal life, he says, go and sell all your possessions, give it away and come follow me. And then we're thinking, is that what Jesus wants me to do? We, we, do we extrapolate it out and said, well, if Jesus told this young man that that's what he has to do, obviously it must be what I have to do if I'm going to inherit eternal life. Well, you know what? Jesus talked with a lot of rich people. Let a lot of rich people cross Jesus' path. Uh, Zacchaeus. You know the little song Zacchaeus was? A wee little man, a wee little man was he. But he was a wealthy man. Nicodemus. 
was a wealthy man. There were many women who supported Jesus who were very wealthy. Did Jesus ask any of them to go and sell everything they had and come follow him? No. You see, Jesus doesn't look at, at, look at you and me and say, okay, there's one size that fits all. All of you need to go sell all that you have and, and give it away and come follow me. Jesus talked to a lot of rich people. But not once in the scripture does it, do we read that he tells them to go sell all that they have and give, give it away. See, because he looked into their heart and saw something different than this young man. This young man had a problem. It was his money. It was his possessions. That was his God. That was his God. See, the thing about Jesus and when he quoted all of the law, he quoted all the law except for commandments one and two, right? You will have no other what? God's before me. See, there's the problem. The young man had kept all the law, but somehow number one got shoved to the side because money had be and possessions had become his God. It was in his way. He couldn't do what he needed to do until he got that, that God out of his life. So there's two parts to Jesus' answer. The first one's up here, go and sell. That's the most shocking. For the people, for the people that heard this and for this young man, you know, I don't think he, in his wildest dreams, expected Jesus to say, go and sell. I think what he expected Jesus to say was, him, you have done a great job, man. Keep doing what you're doing, living by the law. You got a lot of money. God's blessing you. Just, you know, brother, carry on. I think that's what he expected. But he heard, go and sell. But you know what was more important? Come and follow. That is the most important. Go and sell was very shocking. Every one of us is going to have something in our life where Jesus is going to say, go and do this. And then come follow me. Something shocking in our life that's in the way. He's going to say, you got to get rid of that. you got to get rid of that. And then come and follow me. That's the most important. Because that's where the heart of the matter really is. You know, Jesus said to him, come and follow. Guess what? He talked to a lot of people, didn't he? To this young man, he said, go and sell. But to everybody that he crossed paths with, he said what? Come and follow. He said that to fishermen. He said that to tax collectors. He said that to prostitutes. He said that to sinners. He said that to Pharisees. Everybody that crossed paths with Jesus, he said to them, come and follow me. So as long as this young man held on to his money, he could not take hold of the life that God had for him. He is totally unaware of his spiritual condition, thinks that he is good enough, that he is moral and upright, and he has kept the law, but the law didn't reach his heart. And that's what Jesus was reaching for. So he was sad, and he went away. He's one who owned a lot of property, but missed a relationship with Jesus. That's why I call him sad man walking. You know, in Jesus, if you read some of the other passages, it says he looked at him and he loved him. He wanted him for the kingdom, but Jesus couldn't do it for him. He had to do it for himself. 
So number four, we have a disturbing reality. The disturbing reality is this. We are all more like this man than we realize. Now, we may not be as rich. We may not have as much time. We may not be as talented. But every one of us in this room has been given time. You're here. You're breathing. You've been given gifts and talents. I'm sure Corey and I have preached I don't know, 50 sermons on the, the passages that talk about spiritual gifts. And, you know, every person has a gift. You look at pastor, well, not me. Yeah, you do. I'm sorry. Every one of us has time as long as we're breathing. We all have talents and gifts. And we all have a certain amount of money that God has given us. And we want to live a life that counts. Jesus loves us, just like he looked at this man. He loved him. But he let him walk away. He loves us and he wants abundant life for us. But like this man, all of, us, all of us have something that gets in the way. All of us have something that gets in the way. It could be money. It could be success. It could be a career. It could be a relationship. It could be your comfort. It could be pride. It could just be noise. There's a lot of noise out in our world right now. I think the noise is getting in a lot of people's way. I really do. I think people, the temptation is to, is to get caught up in everything that's going on and begin to say, hey, you know, everything that I have believed up to this point must be messed up, and I need to rethink everything about my life. Well, it may be true, but it's not true for all of us. It's not true for all of us, but there is something that's in our way. If Jesus were to say to you or to me, one thing you lack, what would it be? That's the difficult question. One, if Jesus were to look, if you say, Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Pastor, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And we say, one thing you lack, what would that be? I came across a little story of a, country boy who was being shown around New York City uh, by his friend. Any of you guys been to New York City before coronavirus? <laughs> it's not the same place right now as it was before. You know what New York City's like. If you're down around Wall Street area or, or uh, Ground Zero or all of those places. So um, he's being shown around uh, New York City by his friends. So amidst all the hustle and bustle, the commuters, the taxis, car engines screeching and blowing horns, the street vendors shouting their wares, the noise of all the people, you know what it's like. It's just a madhouse. The country boy stopped and said to his friend, do you hear the birds singing in the trees? His city friend looked at him and said, how can you hear anything in the midst of all this noise? How can you hear anything? And the country boy said, it's all a matter of where your heart is. And he said, watch this. And he took a quarter. He flipped the quarter up in the air. When that quarter hit the ground, eight people turned around to look at that quarter. And one guy tried to chase it down as it went into the sewer. And he looked at his friend and he said, what we see in here is dependent on where our heart is. It's dependent on where our heart is. Is my heart open or is my heart closed? Well, unfortunately for this young man, his heart was closed because he went away. I'd like to know the rest of the story if he one day came back, but we don't have that, unfortunately. So fifth, I want to just close with talking about a promised blessing. 
So the disciples are watching all this go, happen, aren't they? Kind of like you and me. They, they're looking around saying, well, what does that mean? Do we all have to sell everything we have and give it away? And then Jesus will let us into heaven. So Peter says, we have left everything and followed you. And so in the back of his mind, he's thinking, well, I inherit eternal life because I've given away everything. And so Jesus said to them, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age and in the age to come eternal life. That's good news. Jesus promises a life that counts now and forever. But one thing we have to do, we have to put our life, our time, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our money into his hands and let him say, this is what I'm going to do with your life. So for some of us in this room, we may not have ever done that. We've been good people. We're sincere. We're religious. But we've never admitted that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. We've never come to that point where we've looked at someone and said, what do I have to do? What is it that I need to do? Or even ask God, God, what is it that I need to do to spend eternity with you and experience your forgiveness. If you're here this morning and, and that's the case, I would, I would just ask you to, to take a, a look at your life, take an inventory of your life, and ask yourself, what is the one thing? What is the one thing that's between me and God? You know, even if you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time, there are times in our lives when there's one thing that gets between us and God, and a and a relationship with him and fellowship with him and living the kind of life that he wants us to live. What's that one thing? What is the thing that's keeping you from living a life that counts? Jesus looks at each and every one of us. He loves us. He wants the best for us. But he's not going to force us. So my word to you this morning is this. Don't be a sad person walking. When you hear what Jesus has for you, don't just turn and walk away. It may sound like a tremendous sacrifice, but if we will allow him to have his way in our life, we will be blessed beyond anything that we can ask or imagine. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word that reminds us that you love us, that you do have a plan and a purpose for us, and so, we, Lord, we just want to come this morning and ask you, what is the one thing that's in my life this morning that you would like for me to change so that I can have the fullness of a relationship with you? Now, Lord, just reveal it to me. Give me the courage and the desire to do what you're asking me to do today, to have the life that I so desire. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Stop back at the Connection Hub with Melody back there. If you're joining us online, click the raise hand, the blue button there, and uh, one of our online hosts will chat with you. Um, I just want to pull Terry back up. First of all, thank you again for always being willing to come out and hang with us. And uh, and I do have to mention, you know, one of the criteria for coming and uh, uh, preaching at Real Life is that you have uh, cute legs. So... <laughs> So there we go. So good job. Welcome to the club. <laughs> uh, hey, next Sunday, we're going to start a brand new message series called Joyful. We're going to do a four-week study in the book of Philippians. So hope you can be back next Sunday and uh, join us either here in person or online. All right. Love you. See you next week.